Well, this morning we are continuing in our series in shape, and um, you know today we have a uh, interesting topic. We're going to be speaking about um, some women in the Bible. Um, and if you if you search through the Bible, there's there's a handful of women that are really um, you know we get a good account of their life. We studied one of them earlier this year, and that was Esther. Uh, we also, uh, you know, hear a lot about Ruth and, and some other women, but there's a lot that it just kind of, there's a quick mention, and that's it. Uh, like, oh, this was so-and-so's mother, and, and that's it. Um, so today we're going we're gonna, to um, spend a little bit more time in that and, and uh, focus on five women and look at their shape and how God was able to really use them, uh, you know, for his plan, so... You know, this week as I was preparing, uh, you know, I came across a story. And I was reading, um, you know, I was reading the story about this man. And it was really interesting um, because there was a list of his ancestry, his, his genealogy. And I know a lot of times it can be pretty boring to listen to, you know, somebody's family tree. Especially if you don't know who these people are, right? But this person's family tree was pretty interesting, uh, I noticed some of the women. Okay, one of his great, 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 I don't know how many greats, but very great uh, grandmothers. She became a widow and had no children. And so she actually became pregnant from her father-in-law. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Um, and, and then and you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. And then uh, a few generations later, then, um, you know, there's another woman who, she's a prostitute, and she, you know, comes into the family. And then later on down the line, you, you find another woman who has adultery, and then her husband gets killed, and then he ends up, um, you know, she ends up having an, another son, and then Finally, it starts to kind of clean up a little bit, um, and we hear about a couple other of his great-grandmothers, but I was kind of blown away, right? And some of you are just shaking your heads like, what are you talking about? Well, this man is, in fact, Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to look at his family tree. I mean, this is the Lord, the Savior of the world, and this is the family that God chose, that God chose, you know, t- to bring forth Jesus from. You know, he could have, he could have um, chosen anyone. He could have had the purest, most faithful, amazing people that were without, you know, blame. And they're just, and you would just say, man, those guys are so amazing. But instead, you know, he really chose everyday people. People that sometimes had good intentions, but went about things the wrong way. People that, you know, came out of a life of sin and began to follow the Lord. People that, from their birth, maybe, they were, you know, following after the Lord. And in those times of great challenge, they really stepped it up. They didn't just keep on going in comfort, but they really stepped it up. Um, So let's pray. Lord, help us to... Well, Lord, we just ask that you would open our eyes this morning. You would open our eyes and our ears to your word. 
Please help us to find freshness among familiarity, inspiration through testimony, empowerment through your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you're a God who is able to redeem even the most broken of people. And you're such a good, good Father that even strangers, when they come in contact with your love and your mercy, they can't help but to fall in love with you. And so we thank you, Jesus, for your grace and the hope that you've given us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, like I mentioned at the beginning, if you're just joining us, uh, we are continuing in a series on SHAPE. And SHAPE is uh, an acronym. It's uh, spiritual gifts, your heart or heart passion, uh, abilities, personality, experiences. And, you know, all these things put together give us an idea an indication of, you know, how we've been prepared to serve, how we've been equipped to serve, how we've been uh, really uh, created to serve the Lord. And uh, so today, like I said, we're going to talk about some of these women that are in Jesus' family tree. Um, you know, you thought your family was messed up. Well, Jesus had it, and he's, he's the Lord of the world, right? So in Matthew 1, uh, we, we find this genealogy, Matthew 1, um, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon. And Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. You know, it continues for several generations, and then in verse 15, it says, And Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And you notice that in this long genealogy, there's only five women mentioned. Which even that in and of itself is, is odd. Because, uh, you know, in that culture, it wasn't really normal to highlight the women. It's all about the male. You know, it's the man and who is his father and who is his father, who is his father, who is his father. And these are not the type of people that you would necessarily like I said, would you really point them out in your family tree? That, oh yeah, Perez and Zero by Tamar. Tamar, you know, you know, or Rahab. You know, these are people that maybe you would try to kind of hide in your family tree. You know, oh yeah, this person was great, or that person, you know. But the Lord chooses to leave it in there. And I think for, for a great purpose. Uh, so, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, who is the one that's mentioned as the wife of Uriah, her name's Bathsheba, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, the first one, the one that, that I think oftentimes seems to be the most shocking, is the story of, of Tamar. And that could be, I mean, we could spend tons and tons of time. So, um, you know, you guys that have really studied this, 
forgive me. I don't have, well, you, you don't want me to spend the whole time talking about this. So we're going to go over these lightly. Um, but we find the story of Tamar in Genesis 38. In Genesis 38, 1, it says, It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again, she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. So Tamar, her husband, she enters into this family, right? And her husband... I don't know what he did, but he really displeased the Lord to the point that the Lord did not want him on the earth anymore. And so the Lord killed Ur. We continue in the story and we find out that, okay, next in line is Onan. And so Judah uh, recognizes that, uh, okay, Tamar, because in that culture, in that time, if you're a woman and you're widowed, Nobody's going to marry you. And so if you're a woman and you're widowed, then you're pretty much helpless. If you don't have sons that will care for you, or you don't have a family that you're attached to, right? You, you're pretty much helpless. And in fact, a lot of times, the only way that they would be able to survive would be just from begging or through other means like prostitution, so as was, was the custom, um, since she didn't have any sons, then she was entitled or she was supposed to receive a son through that family. So it would go to the brothers. This is something called the uh, leveret marriage. Um, we won't get into all that. But, but So that was the custom. So Judah recognizes that, and he says, Okay, next in line, Onan, we're going to take care of Tamar. But Onan was also wicked, and he was, you know, selfish. He didn't want to help out his brother. He didn't want to continue his brother's line. He didn't want, you know, Tamar to have children and continue on. And so he was wicked, and the Lord killed him too. Now Judah, he has one son left, young Shelah. In fact, he's too young. So although it would be normal for him to say, okay, Tamar, my last son. He says, you know what, she's, he's too young. Go back to your people. Come back in a few years when, when he's older, when he's ready. And so she does that, and she comes back, and he is worried that, okay, maybe she's kind of bad luck, or maybe some, you know, I don't want him to die too. So he just says, you know what, too bad. You're, you're out on your own. And so again, remember, she would not have the means to support herself. So in essence, he's just kind of, okay, you're out on your own. You know what, good, good luck. Whatever you got to do to survive, you know, hey, that's your thing. Um, and so he basically, he just gives her that cold shoulder and, hey, go on. Uh, 
she's not content with that. She knows what she's entitled to. She knows what she's been waiting for. She's passionate to see her husband's line continue, to see the line of Judah continue through her. And so if you read this, this scripture, it's you know, a mind-blowing thing where she actually finds Judah, her father-in-law. He's kind of at this sheep shearing festival, so that the Canaanite culture, this is a, a, a festive time, kind of like a party time, and, and he's out there, and as, as some of their religious practices are, they had temple prostitutes, and, and that was a, you know, a, a normal thing, and, and so what Tamar does is she dresses up with a veil and all that as one of the prostitutes, or as a prostitute, and Judah ends up soliciting her. And as they're negotiating, you know, what the payment is, he, he says, I think he says, you know, I'll give you a, a goat or something like that. And, and she says, well, how do I know you're going to pay me? And so they negotiate this. And so she takes his signet ring, his cord, and his staff as collateral. And so the idea is that when he pays her, then he'll, she'll give her, him back his stuff, right? And so... He says, all right, you know, cool. And they, he goes along with it. And then later, he sends his friend. He doesn't go himself. He sends his friend, hey, here, can you give payment to that, that temple prostitute? And the friend goes looking for her, and, of course, she's not there. And the friend's asking around, and he tells Judah, and, hey, she's not there. I don't know what happened. And so Judah realizes, okay, if I keep on asking around, like, hey, have you seen that prostitute here? Then it's going to look bad. So he just says, okay, forget it. You know, I lost my ring, I lost my, you know, whatever. I'll just, you know, whatever. And so he just forgets about it. Well, three months later, three months later, Genesis 38, 24, it says about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. And so Judah, he says, bring her out. Let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, and she says, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Of course, then Judah identified them. Oh, shoot, that's mine. (laughs) And he said, she's more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again, right? So he, he recognizes, okay, I really wronged her. And, and through this, she ends up having twins, now, I don't know if that's a blessing or, you know, because they may think, all right, two, two boys. But when I think about it, I think, man, sometimes when you go about things, uh, you know, a different way, you end up getting double the trouble. But uh, anyway, she had, uh, she had twins. And uh, from Matthew, we saw that that's Perez and, and Zerah, right? Um, well, she ends up becoming part of the family of Judah. You know, she was kind of dealt these, these bad cards. She finds herself helpless, without a child, no future. She doesn't have that security. But she's unwilling to just let it go. She passionately pursues this. Now, she goes about it the wrong way, I would say, right? 
Um, it reminds me of Abraham and Sarah and how God promised Abraham, hey, I'm going to make your descendants uncountable. And yet they didn't wait. And so Abraham and Sarah decided to, to, to use Hagar as, um, you know, to, to mother a child for him. And God's saying, hey, that, that wasn't my plan. So they may have this good, you know, intention or, you know, this end goal, but that impatience that, okay, I'm going to do it on my own. Um, you know, that, that's where, you know, a lot of times, that, you know, we find ourselves in trouble maybe. And Judah, we know that Judah, you know, he had gone astray. He's celebrating with the people of the land. He's, you know, by soliciting a prostitute, he is, he is in essence kind of worshiping their God and doing all these things. So he, we know that he's not living like he's supposed to. And it takes Tamar to kind of set him right, to show him like, hey, look at what you're doing. In the end, she's called righteous. The next woman in, um, in Jesus' line that is mentioned is Rahab. Um, now, Rahab, we can kind of infer that she was a caring woman because we know that uh, she took care of her family. Um, we know she wanted uh, a different life. She, she wanted to, to have a change. She recognized that the way that things were going, you know, it was going to be a problem. If she continued doing what she was doing, uh, serving her, her gods and her country, then it wasn't going to end up good for her. Well, you know, last night, um, Heavenly Treasures has their big fundraiser uh, event, and um, this is a huge thing for their organization. And, and um, you know, so I, I, um, I got to tag along with my wife, and, and so everywhere I went, you know, I was introduced first as, oh, this is Caroline's husband, you know. And then later, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is Pastor Phil. He's at Mission Valley, whatever. Um, so that's how I was introduced. Well, Rahab is introduced as, you know, Rahab, the prostitute. Um, so it's very, you know, it's just out there. Hey, it's Rahab, the prostitute. And uh, so we find her story in Joshua 2. And, you know, all these, you guys can, you know, write them down and read the full story because there's a lot in each one. And, again, we're limited on time, so we're just running through it. But um, Rahab and Joshua 2. And it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Yeah, you guys got to read all this stuff yourself. I mean, these guys go on like a business trip and they end up lodging, you know, at a prostitute's house. That's kind of, anyways. Um, so they're there and, and it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house. This is the king. For they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Lie, right? And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So Joshua, 
who himself went into the land earlier in his life, Joshua sends out a couple of spies to check out Jericho. Jericho is a gateway into this land of Canaan. They, they wind up in the, the house of Rahab, this prostitute. She hides these spies, and she negotiates a deal. She proclaims, she says, hey, I heard about you guys. I know your God is the real God. He's the real deal. And we heard how you escaped Egypt, how the Red Sea parted for you. We heard how you've overtaken our neighbors, and we're afraid. I know that your God is is a true God. And she makes a deal with them and says, hey, I've saved you. You know, will you save me and my family? Again, she could have just said, hey, just take care of me. You know, but she says, hey, me and my family. And so they work out a deal, and, and she hangs a cord outside her window so that they know, okay, this is the house that we're going to spare. And what we, uh, what we imagine from this is that everything in the city, everyone was completely wiped out except for Rahab and her family. And so Rahab, she finds herself not only saved in the fall of Jericho, but she becomes the kind of great-great-grandmother of King David. The third woman is Bathsheba. Many of you are, are familiar with the story. She's mentioned in Jesus' lineage as just the wife of Uriah. That was not by mistake. I mean, it's being pointed out, right? Second Samuel Chapter 11 and 12 talks about this whole encounter. King David, he sees her bathing. He's supposed to be doing other work, but he's just at home chilling. And he sees this woman bathing on the rooftop. He has her brought to him. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. He devises a plan to to continue being unnoticed. And so she tries to get her to, to sleep with her husband who's in fact this leader in, in David's military. When that man Uriah, he you know, is a man of character, and he says, no, I can't be doing this, hanging out with my wife when my brothers in arms are out fighting. David has him, in essence, killed. The Lord is deeply grieved by this. He sends a prophet to talk to David, and, and that son... After Uriah is killed, David takes Bathsheba. But that son, born out of sin, dies within seven days. The next one we know is King Solomon. A man full of wisdom and who actually builds the temple for the Lord. And Bathsheba, she, you know, we don't know. I assume... You know, maybe it's easy for me to assume that, that, hey, if she really was opposed to this, she could have stopped it. Or she could have put herself out there. Yeah, that might have meant death. So maybe, you know, that's not as easy of a thing to resist, the king. But anyhow, you know, she has that place in, in Jesus' history. Um, and through this sin, we know that there's redemption. And out of her comes Solomon, who... who you know, the Lord blesses greatly. The next one is Ruth. Uh, we have a whole book in Ruth, so that's wonderful. Uh, Ruth is uh, spoken of as a righteous woman. She's someone that, as she encounters 
the God of Israel through her husband, she recognizes and she really follows after the Lord. Even after she's widowed, and again, these, these women were out on their own, right? It's her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And her mother-in-law releases her. Hey, you can go back to your people, you know. But I imagine Ruth, she, she knows that, no, I can't go back there. I can't go back to those gods. I can't go back to, to my old life. She loves her mother-in-law. She's essentially risking, you know, a life of homelessness and, and just uncertainty. And she sticks by her. We know that through this whole encounter, the Lord redeems her with, with Boaz, who is her um, kind of distant relative. And um, in Ruth 4, 14, the women say to Naomi, her mother-in-law, women who are married, can you imagine this lady, your mother-in-law's group of friends saying to your mother-in-law, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Um, So I guess my notes got screwed up and it it went around. But um, yeah, so so Ruth, she's someone that that we see, that we know, that she was a righteous woman. And of course, Mother Mary, Jesus' mother, um, you find her story in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mary's full of faith, a humble servant. She has faith to trust God in an impossible situation. In Luke 1, after the angel of the Lord has told her, hey, guess what? You're pregnant. I know, you're a virgin, but you're pregnant. You're going to be bearing the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah. Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. So even though Mary, we, we know that, hey, she's someone that, that she was you know, doing her best following the Lord, following these commandments. Even if you're someone that's doing that, when this circumstance, this situation is dropped in her lap, what are you going to do? Because remember, for her, remember Tamar? Judah says, hey, bring her out. Let's burn her. Right? Why? Because she was immoral. Same thing. For Mary, she could have easily been put to death. Because it was known that, hey, she's a virgin. She's betrothed to Joseph. And whoa, hey, she's pregnant. And Joseph is saying, hey, it wasn't me. That could be instant death for her. Right? 
And the angel is telling her, hey, Mary, I know this situation is crazy. Do you trust me? Do you trust the Lord with your life is what he's saying, right? And she recognizes that and she says, hey, I'm the Lord's servant. So today, you know, from these different accounts, um, you know, maybe you feel like you're, you're someone that you have things in your past. Maybe you're currently in a situation that you want to get out of. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, something as dramatic or as drastic, you know, far over there as prostitution. You know, whatever sins there are, maybe there's something that's just hanging over your head that you just feel this, this weight on you. Whatever that is, we see from Jesus' lineage, from Jesus' family tree, that there's redemption. That through God, there is redemption. And not just, you know, not just, okay, you're forgiven of this, but man, you're restored. You're really redeemed. You're really put into a place where you're held high, where in, you know, the story of Jesus, the Savior of the world, these women are mentioned. They're put out there on purpose and said, hey, look, this was, you know this woman. You're familiar with their background. But she has a part. She has a place. She's been redeemed. She has a part of the story of Jesus. So whether you're someone that you feel like there's areas in your life where it's like Rahab, it's like um, Bathsheba, it's like um, Tamar, or Mary or Ruth, and you feel like, hey, I've been doing everything right. When the Lord calls upon you, you know, how are you going to respond? So your weekly challenge for this week is, um, you know, really think about how God may be challenging you to have patience and trust him. Because it's one thing to know the end goal of this is where I want to be headed, but sometimes that timing is, is really hard. Do you have that, that faith and that, that trust to wait upon the Lord? And number two, uh, you know, I encourage you to pray that God will reveal to you if there's anything from your past experiences or even present circumstances that may be holding you back from, from your future. You know, things that you need to come here and, and lay before the altar and say, okay, God, I need you to take this from me. I need to let go of this because I know it's, it's holding me back. Um, so worship team, you can come forward and... Um, you know, today is the first Sunday of the month, and, and like is our custom, we, we celebrate by taking communion. Um, 